Howdy, hello, and welcome to episode 125 here today on the podcast. Uh, today's episode, we're going to be talking, as you can probably guess from the title of the episode, we're going to be talking about the next decade of my life, and more specifically, the decade that's passed. Um, I... I I had one of two options for naming this podcast. I was either going to call it Elephants, you know, to talk about the elephant in the room that is my life and the decisions that I've made bringing me to where I am. Or, if I didn't call it Elephants, I was going to call it 30. Spelled out and uh, talk about me turning 30 exactly one week from today. We're in a crucial countdown of my life. Where, in literally in seven days, I will have, I will have left my twenties, and I will have began my thirties. Now, a lot of people say your thirties are where the real fun begins. Like your thirties are the best years of your life, and uh, I can believe that. But also. It's one of those things where I think back to my 20s and there's just a lot of memories. Some I want to forget, some I want to cherish and remember forever. And so it's one of those things. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I, uh, I had a quarter life crisis. Um, or the equivalent to whatever that looks like, um, not too long ago. And I just looked in the mirror and I asked myself, what are the things that you wanted to accomplish in your twenties that you told yourself back in high school that you would, you would come, you would do. I wanted to publish a book. I wanted to be a published author. I won't be able to say that. I uh, published a book in my 20s. I wanted to write more poetry. I wanted to read more books to keep my skill of writing fresh. I wanted to grow in my faith, believe it or not. Um, I primarily like enjoying uh, adult um, romance. Uh, I mean, I used to dabble in erotic romance. I have written several things in that vein, um, which I'll probably take those, uh, stories to my grave, unfortunately. Um, although some are posted online under an alias, I, I I've always enjoyed romance and young adult romance and the teen romance is cheesy and fun and it's hard to it's hard to be realistic when I'm writing that. So I prefer adult romance because all of the natural feelings and emotions and urges that you feel I can write about without feeling like I'm age gating um my content. Uh 
when I have to write for a younger audience, I have to age gate that, and I have to use certain vocabulary. And it's fun to challenge myself, and it's fun to write in a certain vein on occasion, but on a regular, like, what I would love to do, I would love to be a professional adult romance novel author. That's just where I feel like I would fit. Now, in my 20s, I wrote a lot. But towards my mid-20s, I stopped. In the second half of my 20s, I did not write really anything. I did write. But I didn't write anything substantial. Um, And I mostly wrote for fun or reactive, you know, whatever. Reaction, I guess I should say. Um, I have a, I have a really good friend of mine. Uh, we're just going to call him Travis. That's a fun name. And, uh, we, uh, used to work together at my last job. And, uh, one of the things you did to communicate with your coworkers is you used Microsoft, um, teams and, uh, you know, it was a call center environment. So we were taking calls and, there was occasionally a time or two on like the weekends, especially where it was slow. Um, and I would just be chatting with him. And then on occasion I would start typing up like this long, several paragraph short story and post it on my teams, uh, in a little chat box and he would read it. And man, he was like, man, you're pretty good at this. And I was like, man, I hope so all the time and effort I put in high school to, to write, English was my favorite subject. English was my favorite. Uh, you know, writing was really my only escape. Um, I had a blog that I posted on in high school, and I regret almost everything I posted on that blog. I really do. Um, because when you're young and you're living in your emotions and your emotions are so strong... You don't know how to channel that. And as an adult, I can look back in hindsight and say, well, now I know I have borderline ADHD and anxiety and depression. And, you know, that is why I felt that way. And that's why I reacted or responded or behaved a certain way. I always felt like I was broken or something was wrong with me. And that's why I had a hard time holding on to relationships. And that's why I responded the way that I did. I, I thought that I was just broken and maybe God had made an actual real mistake in creating me. And so I was just depressed a lot. And I... That on top of being verbally abused by my father, which I can now openly speak about, because back then I didn't say anything to anybody because it was a very real everyday situation and I didn't want to bring attention to myself um, or my family or my home life. Um, Although I did get myself in trouble a few times talking a little too much about my home life and my feelings um, online, you know, so... I know why now I was the way I was and am.
But it just breaks my heart to think about how much potential I have and how little I accomplished because I didn't know. And I let it control me. I still talk to myself. And I still yell at myself. But I don't do it nearly as much as I did before I started seeing a therapist. Before I started getting help with figuring out what's going on with me. Now, since I started my new job, I had to stop seeing uh, a therapist or or a counselor or whatever you want to call them. Uh, I've been, what, four months now without seeing a professional, and it definitely has become something I notice. I, I, I miss seeing somebody professionally, and I'm almost ready to say F it and pay for better help or... One of those services that lets me talk to somebody whenever I can't, I, I'm, I'm, I need somebody because I don't have a weekday off anymore every week that I can just make an appointment every other Friday at 11 o'clock like I used to because now I work on Fridays and I work 7 a.m. to 5 p.m., nine hours. Um, and I really wish that I had some leeway there. And I mean, if I really wanted to, I could talk to my boss and say, Hey, I I really want to start seeing somebody again. I'm going to be coming in late on Mondays or whatever day of the week. I could say, I want to see somebody at eight o'clock and I want to come into work at nine every day on those days. And on whatever that is, I'll either take a short lunch and I'll stay late or whatever. But I feel like it would benefit me greatly to get back to that. But that's more of a detour, which is something I'm going to get to. Um, I might do a part one into part two for this podcast. Because honestly, there's a lot of stuff I want to just talk out. And uh, I hope that you guys are here for the ride. Uh, I hope that this is therapeutic for you. If you're listening to this and please reach out to me, let's have a conversation. We can revisit this and we can have a a back and forth. You can share your stories. I can share mine. In fact, I encourage that because it's always fascinating to me to learn about other people's home lives, how they grew up, what shaped them into the person that they are today. You know, one of the, and I'm going to get to this too, but one, like a sneak peek to the future of this podcast, one of the things, well, actually the best thing that ever happened to me in my 29, almost 30 years, no cap, is, is, is my fiance, Jennifer. She is the best thing that has ever happened to me in my life. I am more thankful for her than I am literally anything else in my life. For the first time, I met another human being 
who one, wanted to be in a relationship with me, but two, because the reason she wanted to be in a relationship with me was because she was looking for a partner to share the rest of her life with. But that's just like the precursor, chapter one. That's like you open the book and there's that little tab on the side, the leaf or whatever, where you can see like a short little one paragraph synopsis or breakdown of what this book's going to be like. Do you want to read this book? Check out this little brief whatever about the book. The real behind the scenes is Jennifer encourages me to be the best version of of myself. Jennifer loves me not because love is great and la di da, I have a crush on you, love. No, she knows about my depression. She knows about my anxiety. And she knows about my ADHD borderline. And she knows about my personality traits and my triggers and my mannerisms and the rate the, the the reasons that I act the way I do which are fool-headed sometimes if you don't understand it from the outside looking in she knows all of that and she loves me anyway she loves me because of the person I am in the way that I respect her and treat her I can be myself Truly. I went on a double date with our friends, um, Jessica and uh, Josh. And uh, we went to Gordon Ramsay's Steakhouse. And first of all, that's expensive. So that was a very, very, very rare occasion where we go out and have an expensive delicious time with our our best friends um that was the best day of my life still is the best day of my life i'm sure everybody can relate to waking up and being like ah fuck today is not gonna be a good day or just knowing having that intuition to know this day is not it chief i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pretend or put on this facade and try to make it the best day ever which never works by the way it's actually mentally exhausting to pretend uh especially for me uh as like a 70% introvert 30% extrovert, extrovert, <laughs> God, uh, extrovert, I meant to say, um, everybody gets that way, and mine are times 10, I'll wake up, and I'll be like, fuck, today's not gonna be good, and I'll just start crying, straight up, like, I cry more than probably a lot of men my age, and, if that's a turnoff, then you don't got to worry about that because I have a fiance. <laughs> but no, really, I'm very emotional. And um, I don't believe in all the Zodiac crap like I've said in the previous podcasts. But all the stuff they say about cancers um, who are born in the, the summer, July, 
you know, they're very emotional people. We are an emotional people and our feelings, our emotions, they don't live in our heart. They live on our sleeves. We trust way too easily and get our hearts broken when we should not have bothered. We're way too kind to others and we believe in second chances and third chances and fourth chances on occasion because we see the good in people. Or maybe that one's just me. I don't know. Uh, I do know how emotional we are, though. Um, I follow a Zodiac page on Instagram, and I uh, I always read the Cancers stuff because I'm a Cancer, and I always read the Virgo stuff because Jennifer's a Virgo. And I always look at, like, Virgos and Cancers, and I look at the relationship stuff there. It's fun for me to read that. You know, I don't take any stock in that, but I, I still find it enjoyable. My point is, the day that I went on this double date to Gordon Ramsay's restaurant in Kansas City at the casino, I woke up and I knew that today was going to be a good day. I felt it. It was almost like a sixth sense. I hopped out of bed and I had a smile on my face and not one of those fake smiles. I was genuine. And let me be honest with you guys, not to dampen the mood more than I already have, but it is very hard for me to be in a true of absolute contentness, to be in a place of, of perfect happiness, or even mild, you know, happy emotion. You know, like, I'm not saying I'm depressed all the time and I'm sad, I'm just saying... I'm always very neutral or right below neutral because it's just, I don't, I don't have a lot of reason in my life, especially to bring that emotion up any higher. And I think my, my body and my mind has set that as a default because after meeting Jennifer, she changed my whole life. And I've actually had more happy days than bad days. And when I do have a bad day, she knows. She had to learn, of course, but she knows now that I don't want to talk about it because there's nothing to talk about. I can't, I can't explain why I'm not happy and I can't, there's nothing you can do to fix that. I have to write it out. And it sucks and I'm really sorry, but I cannot... I, there's nothing that you could do to help me is, is essentially the point. Now on this day, when I was going to Gordon Ramsay's restaurant, I didn't feel a single ounce of bad emotion, negative emotion, sad emotion. I had the perfect day. I felt fantastic. I had the love of my life. And then I met my absolute closest and best friends. And we went to a delicious, expensive restaurant together, dressed up real nice. And we had a delicious meal. And we had a, an amazing counterpart to share our company with. And it was a wonderful day. The best day of my life. There is a reason why Gordon Ramsay's Beef Wellington is so popular Dear God, it is delicious. And I highly recommend 
if you have the scrap for it, and by scrap I mean several hundred dollars, uh, you, you go on a fancy little date night and you shell out the extra couple hundred dollars on a good meal because that was phenomenal. And you get dessert, which is just melting your mouth, dear God, help me, delicious. Now, why do I share that particular story? I don't want this to be a solemn reflection of my 20s. I met Jennifer in my 20s, and that's the best thing, like I said, that ever happened to me. I moved in with Jennifer in my 20s. I'd never lived with a previous partner I mean, to be honest with you, I never made it to one year with a previous partner. So here I am, two and a half, almost making it to three in September. She's not sick of me. In fact, I liked it. I put a ring on it. She said yes. As far as I'm concerned, she's my forever And I smile so big knowing that I have somebody like her. And can I be honest? And I know that Jennifer sometimes, on occasion, will listen to my podcast. But I'm still going to say this. There are times where I don't feel like I deserve her because she's so good to me. And I grew up and my father yelling at me like he did. I felt like I was undeserving of love. And I mean, I've said this, I felt like God made a mistake creating me. So wait a minute, this person here genuinely loves me genuinely wants me to succeed, genuinely wants me to continue being an active part of their life. They want to give me their time. The most precious currency in the world is time. You can't buy more of it. You literally get what you have, you spend it, and when you're gone, it's gone. She's giving me her most precious currency and she's willing to invest more of that time into me. She's amazing. She's incredible. She's more than anything I could have fathomed I deserved. I figured I just deserved somebody who was similar to me and we would just share in each other's pain and we would exist together as a means to an end, you know, financially because we needed the extra extra money to, to afford living on this expensive existence that we have. And that was going to be it. We would die and we would meet God and we would either go to heaven or we would go to hell Hopefully we go to heaven because obviously the latter is is less desirable. But I had a very 
<laughs> grim, honestly, perspective on life before meeting Jennifer. And she's changed all of that. Now, there are days, and there have been days, that consistently rise up in the back of my head and tell me I'm worthless. And tell me I don't deserve Jennifer. I don't deserve love. I don't deserve happiness. I was and always will be trash. And it's hard to fight that. It really, really is. I, I sometimes lose that battle with myself. And I get depressed. And I think about my life. And it consumes me. And it's hard to explain it to somebody who hasn't experienced it, you know? Who hasn't lived those... I don't even know how to say it. Who, hasn't, who haven't lived in that vein, essentially? So if, if, if you don't have that abuse, if you don't have that, that disability that I have in my head, then there's no way to relate to it. There are several people I've met who share in that they have depression, they have mental qualms and they know exactly what I feel and they can relate to that. And it sucks that they can relate to that because nobody wants that for anybody else because it's the worst, most debilitating thing. I was just talking about how Jennifer gives me her most precious currency, which is time. Guess how much time I've given to depression, to laying in bed crying Begging God to take me. Just wishing I didn't exist. I've, I've given so much of my time to that pain. In a lot of that, yes, in high school I was very depressed. I even attempted suicide several times in high school. Because I was... I felt worthless. My dad was a truck driver, and when he came home, he was very verbally abusive. And when he wasn't being verbally abusive, he was a Bible-thumping fire and brimstone preaching God of wrath. And it just contradicts itself. How can you, how can you say you believe in God when you're screaming at me, you're telling me I'm worthless, you're scaring me, you're scaring my friends, they never want to come over. Like, it was unnecessary. My mom worked two jobs because when the trucking industry took a dip uh, well, about 10 years ago or whatever happened, I'm not sure about the economy back when I was in high school, to be honest with you. I just know my dad was making less money than he used to be making, and my mom had to work two jobs, and so... There was a lot of the time where my mom raised me and still worked two jobs. And and so I grew up basically alone. And I didn't have good relationship skills. Or sorry, good relational skills. Um, and my senior year in high school, I lost my two best friends. The two people who meant the most to me at that time in my life. And the worst part is I did it to myself because I had a self-destructive, angry mentality. 
I was angry all the time. I hated myself all the time. And I took things so personally all the time. And I'll be honest, I still take things too personally. And I hate that about myself because I need to just calm down, take a chill pill, and relax. But sometimes I I just let shit get to my head. And it just sits there and I simmer on it and I simmer on it until it bubbles. And I'm just like, fuck, I got to get out of here. You know, before I blow up on somebody for something stupid that I shouldn't be taking so seriously. But in high school, I did. I let it bubble up, and then it, it got to a point, I popped. I said some real mean shit. I posted a really, really, really mean blog post that I knew that my friends would read that I was mad at. And I lost two of the best friendships I probably had at that time. No, the two best friendships I had at that time. I could still have those friendships today if I had maybe reacted differently, been a little more mature. There's no point playing what if because in hindsight, you know, maybe we were meant to part ways. I don't know. And God has told me through prayer that I really shouldn't be focusing on that. There's a clear path for me in my life, and there's a clear path for them in theirs. And maybe one day if God divines it, or if it just happens, maybe I'll see him again. Maybe I'll get a chance to apologize. Maybe I'll get a chance to fix that trauma in my life, because it definitely has some scarring, and I was really really disrespectful to one more than the other and that's the one that breaks my heart is because neither one of them deserved it but there was one that I just was a little worse to and I more than anything want to take that back so going into my 20s I didn't have relational skills and I tried very hard to be a people pleaser And I tried very hard to get people to like me. And whenever I had a relationship with somebody, whether that be, you know, platonic or romantic, I did not want to let it go. So I held on to my relationships with a vice grip. And if I didn't, it was probably because something was said, I overreacted, and I burned that bridge because I had to be in control. I'll be the first to admit I have faults. But back in my 20s, I had so many more. I've worked on myself a lot in my 20s. And one thing I can say going into my 30s that I am most proud of is my ability to read a relationship I have and determine whether it is good for me or if it's holding me back. One of the things Jennifer was weary about when we started dating, well, not when we started dating, but after we had been dating a while, um, I wanted to introduce her to some of my friends. And some of my friends were ex-girlfriends. And she thought it was really weird that I 
was still friends with a lot of them, or so many rather. Not so much that I was still friends with them. It was more just like I had so many that I was still friends with. And she thought that was just super weird. Um, I'd like to be the first one to say that, um, or I'd like to be able to say that I'm just super mature and so was the people I da- or so were the people I dated that we were just we're cool. This is fine. Let's go back. Take a step back. Friendship. Cool, 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 cool. And that's I can't say that. Uh, we just kind of ghosted each other for several months and then kind of picked things up when we had both moved past it. <laughs> Which I mean isn't always the best way to go about things. Let's be honest. But I've since then. Uh, like today I have since then been mature enough to say, Hey, this relationship really isn't doing anything for me. I'm going to have to move on. And I, I just feel very strongly about my relationship have to be good for me. It can't be a one way street. It can't be something that's not conducive of productivity. I like having friends and I have a bunch of friends that I don't talk to very much, but we're still friends. But when it comes to relationships platonically, that's that is where it's just like, we don't have any business still being friends. What's the point of holding on to that? Especially if you've been, romantic with that relationship like it didn't work for a reason why are we still continuing you know to be in each other's lives in some form whether it's just texting or whether it's hanging out there's no reason there's honestly no reason and I've had to grow up a lot because I'm not going to make okay my dad always said my dad said a lot of things growing up by the way and he wasn't he was very i didn't like my dad so i didn't take a lot of what he said seriously because of him being so abusive but one of the things he said that stuck with me which is a nugget of truth and i've taken this with me is it's better to learn from other people's mistakes than to learn things the hard way. I am my father's son. I get my anger from him. And I get my pride from him. So, Billy badass I am, I like to prove people wrong. I don't like having my pride hurt. I like being a man. So I'm like, fuck everybody. I'm going to be friends with who I want to be friends with. I don't care if it's good for me or not. I just don't want to be lonely. And the more people I have in my life, the more avenues I have to distract myself from my loneliness. So I kept in contact. Hey, how you doing? Hey, what's up? I would text like five or six people if I knew that many at the time or however many people I knew at that time who were, you know, I felt like would respond to me. And I just... I just kept going with that relationship. I kept going with that relationship. I kept going with that relationship. It doesn't do me any good. 
but it kept me from feeling lonely. Or if it didn't help me from feeling lonely, it at least distracted me, which is the biggest thing. I have had a lot of life lived in my 20s. In my early 20s were, let's just be honest, rough. The second half was much better. That's where I started growing up. That's where I started evolving. That's where I started being a better person. And you know what? This podcast is almost 40 minutes long, so I'm going to make a part two. But before I do, I just want to say one thing I'm proud of to end my podcast on a positive note. You know, one of the things that Jennifer has taught me in my time being with her, she has taught me that I am capable of anything. Shit, I almost cried when I said that. Fuck. (laughs) But I mean it. Jennifer has taught me that I am capable of anything. Because her parents told her she was capable of anything. Do you know how good it feels to be told that you are capable of anything? If you want to be something or do something or accomplish something, you can do it. And if you don't think you can do it, you can try. And in trying, you've already done 90% of the work because you have attempted something Most people will not attempt because that disbelief gets in your head and keeps you from trying. Shoot, if you fail and you fall on your face and you don't think it's worth your time, at least you can say you tried. But maybe you'll try it and you'll fall on your face and you'll get up and be like, wait a minute, I almost had that. Let's give it another go. Or you take a little time off And you simmer on it. And you think to yourself, you know what? That sucked. It didn't work out so well. But maybe I can still do it. Maybe I just need some time to brush the dust off my knees. And uh, get the dirt out of my shoes. And then I'm, 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 I'm young and scrappy in my mind again, ready to try again. I would like to publish a book before I die. Sure, I wanted to publish a book before I was 30. Didn't happen. Doesn't mean I can't. There are a lot of success stories of older people making their dreams come true. Or accomplishing goals later in life. That's nothing to to shake your head at. Jennifer believes in me. And damn it, if she's going to believe in me, I may as well try to believe in me too. Because I'm her partner and she loves me and I love her 
And I love her enough to not give up. So please, if you don't listen to part two of this podcast and you only listen to this episode, take this with you as you go. You are capable of anything. I believe in you. And I believe you can accomplish anything you set your mind to, commit to, and decide you want to do. Even if it's an attempt, I believe in you.